So before we start today, here's a very annoying legal disclaimer. All views expressed are our own and do not indicate the opinions of any employers or clients for whom we work. The recommendations or advice given in this podcast may or may not be right for you based on your circumstances. Please do bear this in mind before taking any action. Welcome to Charting Tracks. My name is Amir Yakub. I am joined today by my two wonderful co-hosts, Ben Hensi Garside and Chris O'Gorman. Hello. <laughs> so Ben is a voice coach. He is a multi-instrumental composer and producer. He was previously an A&R scout at Faith and Hope Records. He is currently a lecturer at Leeds Conservatoire and teaches voice on the popular music course and is a father of two beautiful young boys. Chris O'Gorman is a digital marketing strategist and a digital manager, previously at Sony Music and former head of digital at Capital Records UK. He runs a digital marketing agency and also develops artists, branding and marketing. My name is Emi Yakub. I am a record producer. I am a Grammy Award winning engineer, co-owner of Bison Productions Recording Studios in East London and director of Garnish Music Production School in London. So, guys, today the episode is about music creation and composition. And this is somewhere where we have all been um, and we obviously continue to be there in some way, shape or form, I guess, as well. Um, just because we do other things doesn't mean that we don't like to create music, compose music. Um, and and it's very much the reason, uh, probably even why we know each other, because we all studied together. And we um, essentially did a degree in, uh, in music production, which has uh, creation and composition at the heart of it. Um, so I'm going to kick off today um, by basically talking a little bit about music creation and composition kind of as it stands today in today's music industry. And, uh, you know, we have so many tools at our disposal. Um, we have, you know, recording gear, which we can access easily. Um, and and it's much cheaper than it was before. Um, we have DAWs, Logic, Reason, Pro Tools, Studio One, you know, everything under the sun. Um, and we are in a very fortunate position in time, I feel, um, to create and compose. But obviously, with even without all of that stuff, we can start at any given instrument. You know, like we can start on a piano if we just had a piano. Uh, we can start on a guitar if we just had a guitar. We can even start with just um, a voice because music creation um, is, you know, there's many components that make up music, a composition, I guess. But creating music itself can be done pr practically anywhere at any time. Um, all you need is the musicality inside of you. So, Chris, let's start with you. Um, how do you see music creation and composition today? Um, I guess the thing that's sort of just ju jumping on from what you said, actually, it's the, the democratization of music creation. The fact that, you know, you've got artist director fan relationships and platforms where you can create your music. Like you say, physical recording equipment is as accessible as it's ever been Definitely. Um, at any point in history. So you're not spending $300 a minute to be <laughs> recording. You know, you know, you've got independent studios like yours that are much more accessible to independent artists. You've got home recording software that's much more uh, accessible. And then you've got the means of distribution that are, that are literally available to everyone. Anyone can write something, record something, produce it, and by the end of the same day, if they wanted to, uh, have it released on Spotify, on YouTube, on SoundCloud, um, on Apple Music, on 
Deezer on on all of the various streaming platforms on Amazon Music. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think what that's done is, I I mean I think it's a good thing. It's it's created like I say it's it's definitely democratized the process of creating music and allowed for that music content to get heard by you know a larger well to get to get it heard at all to be honest um what it's also done though is i think led to different genres being created that possibly wouldn't have had that technology not been available and had that director fan distribution not been available and that's what's kind of i think most exciting is the gatekeepers aren't necessarily deciding what the genres are the artists are and then the fans are and then sort of you know coming from where i've come from which is a you know record label background it's interesting how quickly it's even in the last sort of decade how quickly it's changed from probably the labels directing a lot of what the next big genre is going to be the next big thing is going to be and much more actually jumping on the trend and it's sort of letting the audience the music consumer and the artists creating it influence where that's going and then and then sort of jump on that rather than directing it and i think that's a really exciting thing it means that it's harder to get heard and harder to get cut through because you're competing against so many people i think it was something like forty thousand tracks a day getting uploaded to to just spotify alone for instance it's crazy Um, so that that shows you obviously how difficult it is to get cut through but then you also don't need to necessarily be a mainstream artist. You can also build up your own fan base and and have a communicate, uh, you know, have a direct sort of communication with your with a with a fan base on your own. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily require having, you know, house being a household name or having global mainstream success to be able to create your your music and ultimately get it listened to. So that I think is the 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 sort of biggest development in the last decade or so. Yeah, and just to pick up on a couple of things that you said there quickly, um, particularly like, um, you know, how quickly you can get your music out after obviously you've created it. You know, many DAWs that are working will allow you to publish your song that you've just created from the DAWs straight to SoundCloud. Mm. Uh, Like literally, you don't even have to go on to SoundCloud (laughs) to upload it. It's crazy. Um, But also something that really sticks out to me when you talk about direct-to-fan and when we're talking about creation, um, obviously over the periods of lockdown and quarantining and all of that kind of stuff due to COVID, um, we've seen people um, who are artists on on many different levels reaching out to their fans. And um, in some cases, you know, even creating stuff in front of their fans live. Mm. Um, so I know there's... Um, uh, there's a uh, fairly famous hip hop producer called Kenny Beats, and he did um, a series of streams on Twitch where he was creating things live in front of people who were watching him on Twitch, which is like um, kind of goes, just goes to show how far we've come. Can you ever imagine that in 1965, mm. it just wouldn't be, uh, it wouldn't really be happening at all, would it? You'd see it maybe in a room, yeah. um, but nobody beyond that room, yeah, exactly. that, you know, that audience in that physical space would be able to see it. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, Ben, your thoughts on music creation and composition today? Yeah, well, I mean, so the, the democratisation thing, um, being able to speak directly uh, with and to fans, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's going to change things. That thing about the... Uh, the industry elites not being able to control things. Um, this is all good. Same again with what you what you just mentioned there. That means it's harder to quote unquote cut through. This thing about um, producers uh, like making beats live and kind of allowing their fans into kind of I suppose behind the curtain into the uh, creative process. Mm. There is something about the relationship and, you know, and we, we touched briefly last time on, um, we, we talked about authenticity, didn't we? And something else about the democratization is, is that that can, that gap between, uh, between the fan and the artist is, is shrinking. And so the, the, the question for creators then is, well, what do we do about that? Mm. Now, 
there have been quite a few people kind of toying with this um, with this space. There was one band I came across a few years ago now, actually, who would um, they would invite their fans into studio sessions and you know get hand out percussion instruments and their fans would actually end up on the record. Um, So things like that, something about handmade and bespoke experiences, really focusing on those people that get you and what you do. Yeah, there's something about building your your niche. Mm. So there's something slightly different about that, you know. So yeah, a few themes, co-creation with your fans, finding finding your niche not necessarily being so stressed out about appealing to a massive market but finding like finding your crew your tribe the people that really get what you do um and then including them in the process yeah definitely Community building as much as anything else and so like like last time if you if you turn up and you just make your music and you don't really want to think about your your artistic persona at all or your brand it, it's there's a, a similar kind of thing here right which is if if you just want to make your music and expect it to just stand by itself with no interaction um or feedback um from your audience um i mean i don't know there might you you might find a way of making that work but it doesn't seem to be the way things are going yeah no absolutely i mean obviously this kind of brings up um creating something in private versus creating something publicly mm. and obviously everything i guess was created fairly private privately before the before the advent of the internet particularly something like social media and we now have obviously the ability to create in a very public manner um which is a very interesting place to start really because um particularly when i was thinking about today's episode um it's about what creation um not method or methods you prefer but it depends on how you want to work because like even if we take you know ben's example of the band who bought in their fans and we kind of start to reduce that down um to um a smaller circle um we would we would probably want to think about something like collaboration as well as a way of creating so you know music uh, i always say this music creation can tend to be a solo sport it can be a one-player game right um so it would just be you perhaps and your instrument or or at your computer if you're making you know computer-based music if you want to call it that Um, um there's something about collaboration in creation which i find very interesting um um and i guess this is really where I wanted to kick off talking about stuff because we're going to go on to talk about stuff like, you know, uh, what, what are the things we have to consider when we're creating and composing. Mm. But firstly, it's about your environment and, and you know, opening it up and thinking about collaboration. Um, I collaborate a lot. Uh, so I'm constantly working with lots of different people and uh, I find that I probably work best with other people um and i just wanted to know what from a personal experience what works for you ben um and what works for you chris so let's start with ben what works for you how do you feel about collaboration um it's great when it works i don't know that that might be kind of a, a trite kind of a trite thing to say but um one thing um is that there's there's a there's a whole skill set that runs alongside collaborating effectively, and and sometimes people don't acknowledge that mm. there are ways of being, which will mean that the music gets made more smoothly, more efficiently, and sometimes it's to do with personalities. I personally don't get on in kind of competitive environments that's just a personal thing so i like if, if there's somebody that wants to come and have a fight with me over the music like the thing is that really suits some creators like some people need to have a fight and and in in the fire of the uh, mm. of the fight some good stuff will happen 
for me, that's just, that doesn't work. And so like last week we were talking about knowing ourselves. It's kind of, if that's the kind of collaborative relationship you want to have with me, it's it's not going to work. It's like, I wish you well, go and make some wicked music with someone that's going to the vibe with that and, and it's going to work. But for me, there needs to be kind of a, a sense of love and a sense of respect in the room. Um, I also, I really like playfulness and curiosity. Like we, we talked about this, last time yeah of course um, so if if someone has an idea a willingness to try it rather than shut the thing down before it's even it's even been toyed with i i find that kind of that openness mm-hmm. um at the beginning because this is the other thing too right is that in in the process of uh of creation you can't just be constantly open, constantly, constantly open. Oh, we could try that. Oh, we could try this. Oh, we could try that. Oh, we could try this. Oh, we could try that. Oh, like there's a place for that. Like it's, there's a time, like at the beginning, when perhaps, um, if you're lucky enough to to not be operating with any constraints at all, which is which is rare, you know. Um, even if it, even if it's you or the other person has just come into the session with some. Um, preconceived ideas about how things how things are going to go those preconceived ideas form a kind of boundary around the creative space that you can then that you can then play it play in but then i mean obviously other people have stuff like label pressures they have of course you know, there's there's what instruments you have, have access to in in that moment there's a whole heap of other other boundaries um boundaries i think on the whole are good as long as they're not too rigid and not not too tight at the beginning of the process Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, and so then there's 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 at some point you you're going to want to tip into like a not a creative place and a more of an editing place. And and again, this is like knowing yourself. Are you really good at moving rapidly backwards and forwards from those two places? Because some people can do that. Yeah, they they can they can open up, they can close, they can open, they can close, they can open, they can close, and they can they can leap back and forwards rapidly. And if you're that kind of person, and you want your any collaborators that you're working with to be that kind of person, you need to find those those people and and, and play in that way with each other. Um, other people need like a, almost a time period. It's like right, I'm going to give myself two hours, uh, like like we talked about last time. Two hours, all ideas are valid, everything's fine. We'll just open the floodgates, mm. whatever comes, comes. And then after two hours, we're going to then refine. So we'll pick the ideas that that are working the best and then we'll we'll run with those, you know? Um, yeah. So that's, um, that's how it kind of works for you as well. Like, um, I suppose what t- two things I'm going to, I'm going to pick up on one thing only at this point hmm. um, from what you said. Yeah. But one of my favorite albums um, of all time is um, D'Angelo's Voodoo album. Hmm. And um, that album was created through a series of jams. So yeah, nice. what it was, was they sat in the control room of the studio. Uh, I believe it was Electric Lady in New York. And, and they sat in the control room and they listened to, um, you know, James Brown and Sly and the Family Stone records. And, and then him and his band went into the live room and they would literally jam for like two hours. Hmm. And just through the jams, they would come back in and they would have a listen to what happened. And they go, that point, th- that's a jumping off point for a new song. Um, and uh, I suppose um, a lot of what you're saying is um, kind of particularly when the letting yourself be free, mm. having some sort of constraints and limits, I guess, which is something we'll talk well about in, in a second. Um, but um, also knowing that you uh, anything goes as long as everyone's on the same page particularly with that and it's kind of like everyone wants to just go in and have a jam and see if they can come up with some new great songs um i suppose that's great but one thing you did mention was um where people might not be on the same page about something so you know we might have a drummer that comes in and starts playing drums and half an hour to the jam he's going it's like what's going on guys this is boring i'm just bored out of my brains right now (laughs) and then you have a problem in the context of um collaboration as it were um okay so chris um what are your thoughts like um (laughs) do you create do you like to create public? Um, not publicly, sorry. Um, do you like to create in collaboration? Do you like to create by yourself? What works? Mm. So, from from a musical 
a musical creation perspective, like I'm having to go back to my singer-songwriter days, which are many, many moons ago. They were great days, Chris, it all was, right? I think it was just after the American Civil War. That's <laughs> how far back we know. Um, <laughs> um, no, but what I used to do that, when I used to be kind of doing the, the sort of singer-songwriter thing, I think um, it was 100% by myself. That's how I like to write just it's very personal and it's yeah and also the genre that i was doing is kind of folksy singer songwriting and it just sort of lends it lends itself to that for the most part i think probably lends itself to that solo process though not for everyone um you know there's i think like uh, like the civil wars that's just jumped into mind now, now that i said the civil war the band the civil wars yep. um you know were absolutely one of the best writing teams together um and a quite a troubled <laughs> uh, partnership but actually i think some of the greatest work they did was sort of collaborative so that genre can have that but for me it was just i liked to write it was a very personal kind of thing and it was just like it was quite confessional so it was just alone that's how you know with a piano or a guitar that's how it was but then when it came to the recording and sort of arrangement and production phases that's when i'd be more than happy to bring it over than being like Okay, I broadly hear this, and these are some of the tracks that I'm thinking as reference yeah. um, recordings, and then be like, but when you've got a guitarist or a drummer or a bassist, I'm like, that is all you. You do. You go ahead. I'm not going to write for you. I'm not going to pre-prescribe what you should be doing. That is why I'm bringing you on for your expertise and for your, um, your, you know, your creative input. And so for me, the collaborative phase comes at the, used to come at the kind of recording and uh, probably, I guess, like the production and and recording phase yeah. um, and that's that's what really worked for me but then so that's from a musical standpoint but then interestingly uh, something that Ben said just got me thinking about like actually how I approach sort of collaboration from a marketing standpoint like for when I'm marketing an artist and we're coming up for ideas and actually I think what you said about sort of having a, a like ring fencing the process so that it's like you've got a a, a, a bit to be super creative and all that and you know Actually, that's what we do when, you know, when I'm starting with a new artist, when we're working on a campaign, I'm kind of start off in a similar way, solo to set the broad bones of the strategy. And then you collaborate with the rest of the team, yeah, with A&R, yeah. with the artist, with management, and you refine, get that solidified. And then again, especially when you're coming into actually putting campaign ideas together, the thing that we would always do very early on at the process, once the broad bones of the marketing strategy uh, uh, put together is your sort of more creative ideas your more creative uh, sort of idea sessions and that's when you'd have a session that is all the team members all together and it's you know you lock yourself in a, in a room and it's there is no bad idea with just everything and yeah and it's a space for all the and that's where the best ideas tend to come from and then you, you know like i've said before even if you have to have nine ridiculous ideas that are that are never going to happen to get that one really great one. That's what that space is for. So that's when the collaborative element happens. And then you take it away again as somebody that's that's been leading these campaigns, you can take those ideas and then you go back to being a bit solo and kind of structure that into your campaign, into your actual strategy. Um, and then again, you become collaborative when you start bringing, then I'm going to bring a graphic designer in to make that aspect. I'm going to bring in a, um, a animator to create that bit of content you know so it's interesting actually the two parallels with music creation and with idea sort of creation of marketing campaigns and and content for artists actually run quite parallel for me it starts as a solo thing then uh then goes collaborative then maybe goes solo again and then becomes collaborative and that is sort of the process that goes right through the uh that's kind of the whole uh i guess the cyclical process yeah and um you, you know i'm sure that ben would agree that there's an element of that in the work that he does as well um you know interactions with people and um constantly kind of like collaborating and then co coming back into himself and then co collaborating same with me really you know um i really do like to start ideas by myself mm. Um, but I do, I obviously, part of my job is to just collaborate with people like 90% mm. is collaboration. Um, interestingly, um, one of the things you said in there, Chris, and, um, 
and again, it's something that Ben kind of um, uh, was talking about. Um, is what I call gold digging. So, um, so you're going to dig for gold, and obviously, there's so much muck you have to kind of just get through and get through, and you find the stone, and it's not gold, and you're like that shit. I'll throw it away, and then you go on, you go on, you go on, you dig, you find your gold, right? This is like how it works with ideas and music creation and composition are, they are ideas um, at their core, they're ideas. Um, and so the no bad ideas kind of thing, um, I think that's something that definitely, one of the things that a listener should take away when they're thinking about music creation and composition, we have to go through a lot of bad ideas to get to good ones. And, um, you know, um, if anyone tells you otherwise, they're lying. <laughs> <laughs> and what tends to happen is um, we have this perception of every idea is a great idea because obviously um, your artist that you're listening to, let's say, I don't know, you're a bigger fan of, um, uh, let's pick a name out of the air, Adele. Um, okay, you're a big fan of D Adele and uh, all, all of her songs of her album to you are great. And obviously you're there like man she's got nothing but great songs mm -hmm. but in reality how many songs how many bad songs would she have gone through to get to those really 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 great songs that you love probably quite a few um and you know um i guess this is just a thing in general we as as artists we are allowed to present the best versions of ourselves because we are there we're working through our ideas, all the good ones, bad ones, and we're curating what we think are the best ideas and we're putting them together and we're putting them forward and, and it's kind of like a highlight reel of your last year of music creation. Nobody's going to hear your bad ideas because you lock them away <laughs> and forget about them or you throw your hard drive off a bridge or do something dramatic. Um, so the gold digging thing, it really is something that I wanted to kind of like um, put in there for you, for you guys. And and I didn't try and get this out of either of you guys. You just said it yourself. So thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> but for all of our listeners, I think creation, before we really start to delve into it, we should be thinking, actually, let's just be a little bit easier on ourselves. Um, I was listening to a documentary about the creation of Thriller the other day, and they went through hundreds of mm. songs to get the 10 that mm. were on the album. And, um, you know, to me, they're 10 amazing songs. But yeah, but there's a lot of twists and turns along the way, actually. Um, in this documentary that I was listening to, I did hear some of the demos, and I was like, well, if this was ever released, it would sound like a musical theater album. <laughs> um, <laughs> So it's very interesting, um, obviously, on on that side of things. But also, one more point to make is there is no right or wrong way when it comes to working. You can work by yourself, you can collaborate with people, you can do a mix of the two. There's no real right or wrong, wrong way. Uh, people have preferences, but it's a good idea to push yourself outside of your comfort zone. If your comfort zone is always working with other people, then maybe draw back into yourself or if your comfort zone is working with yourself alone, uh, then always push yourself to draw from other people as well, you know? Um, okay, so I'm going to pick up on the thing that I think is a common theme here, things that in the things that we've discussed. Um, when it comes to constraints, limits, boundaries, all of these kind of things... Um, the big thing that sticks out to me is focus. So um, we can obviously go on creating forever and ever and ever, amen, if we want to. Um, but we have to probably implement some sort of focus. So Chris has an idea session and his idea session is really, it's geared towards something, isn't it? It's geared towards, we've got to get a marketing campaign together for five seconds of summer, yeah. right? Um, and we kind of like i think we talk about all of the things that we have available to us all of the tools that we talked about in the beginning of the episode how do we focus how can we focus our creations and our compositions in maybe by having constraints and limits and boundaries and all of that kind of stuff how can we begin to focus that so that we are 
in a way, optimizing ourselves to bring the best creations out of ourselves. Let's start with Chris. What do you reckon? Um, well, from the sort of more business side of the industry, um, you know, from from the label world. Yes, you, you obviously have an A and R phase where you want to give the artist their char- their time to be creative, and you know you, you um, can't rush that process, and it you know it has to you know it has to be it has to be they have to have the space to you know to be inspired, etc. Especially if they're a writer, if you know if they're um, an artist that is that mostly kind of collaborates with other writers, a lot of the times you kind of do your your writing workshops where you have them you know, hang out with a few different writers during the day and they kind of go from room to room. And, you know, I know that you've done lots of those. Um, Plenty of those. <laughs> yeah. And and it's sort of, it's almost like a bit more of the sort of the old school Motown factory uh, <laughs> of, of, you know, a bit of a songwriting production line, I suppose. Um, but f- I guess coming, yeah, coming from the sort of industry side, it's you're of course aware that you need to have that time to be creative and inspired. But especially if it's a major label and even if it's an independent label, there is going to be a hard release date because when they're looking across their release, across their artist roster and across the, the release schedule, you know, they're going to need something in Q1. They're going to need something in Q2. They're going to need something in Q3. And they're definitely going to need a lot of stuff in Q4 going into the Christmas um, <laughs> release, you know, because those are the big you know the big gifting opportunities when people are going to buy music you know traditionally yeah of course um, obviously with streaming a lot of that's kind of shifted but it's still they're going to need a set amount of releases throughout the year mm-hmm. so we have to put our kind of flagpole in the ground somewhere of course so you know we would be looking at kind of okay what are our competitor acts doing so if it was like um using five se- five seconds of summer as an example would be okay when are One Direction, one, uh, when are One Direction releasing? You know, is there any, you know, when is um, the Vamps releasing? Or was, you know, whatever the other competitor acts are, you know, or with, with Sam, it's when is Adele releasing? Is the big one, is Emily Sandy releasing? Is, you know, is Ed Sheeran? That's the, <laughs> the other big one. Because you're not going to go head to head because you're competing for the same audience or a very similar overlap audience. So you don't want to cannibalize. So generally you'll kind of be right well this is when they're releasing that's where they're releasing this is going to be the best time for us there's there's the gap we find the gap and that more often than not that that release date is really going to be that's a hard release date now sometimes it, you'll have to push back or forward but really and you know considering with like a major artist as well you're, you're dealing with international markets where they have to coordinate everything um in, in the individual labels um on the ground in each market so the whole process is basically now okay i've got this hard release date and uh come hello high water uh, something's going to get released (laughs) (laughs) so i think that is the sort of constraint i suppose in the hopefully you have like i don't know six months maybe longer to be creative and, and to be able to get the actual product music product created yeah um but then you'll have a delivery date where you know that mu- that music product it needs to be delivered in its final form and it's you know and it always comes down to the wire mm-hmm. sometimes it moves but i think having that hard release date is the thing that finally sort of pushes the you know the creative process to be all free form at the start like like it should be and you know not forcing yourself not editing yourself but you kind of once you're then getting towards the end of that and you're kind of, you know, you're now like, um, um, you know, uh, sort of, you're, so, so you'll have your sort of hard release date, but before that you'll have your hard delivery date. And the delivery date is when that music, the final music content product, whatever you want to call it, masterpiece, artwork, the final recordings need to be delivered. So, you know, if you're getting like a month out from your hard delivery date, that's when the that having that delivery date in mind is going to start focusing the ideas and it's like right now we're going to have to we've got all these different ideas that we could we're going to have to start going with our the ones that we feel strongest about and that having that structure does in most cases um help i think the creative process because rather than it being a hindrance it actually focuses the creative process yeah and as you get closer and closer to it it starts 
consolidating everything, I think. And then that's when um, you kind of get to your final phases of yeah. of, of the production p- process. Um, so, so from my perspective, it definitely is. I'm sure the artists will be like, you're good. And some artists can do so they can say, you'll have the album when it's ready. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> and when you're a big enough name. Yeah, to exactly. An extent, you can do that and you can say, you know, as, as a label, you might say, okay, as long as it's in Q4 at the end of the year, it might it might be next Q4. But normally they'll be like, well, we need to, you know, every record label has investors and has directors and has shareholders. And if they aren't going to get a big release, uh in each quarter that's going to be a problem so you know there's so many different variables but generally speaking having that hard release date as a focal point in most cases does help the creative process rather than Mm. rather than harm it yeah yeah and um i mean like just to pick up on what you said like you're basically talking about one of the things i wanted to push forward today which was to have a deadline um uh which is and I mean, a big constraint for everyone um, is time. Mm. Um, there's obviously the clock is always ticking. And, uh, um, you know, it's funny. Um, we're talking about this perhaps in in even just a major label sense mm. or, or, or record label sense. But if you are an independent artist, you're still going to have to have a deadline because there's a process yeah. that happens after the music is created, which relies on you creating it by a certain time. Um, but also your fans are waiting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, mm. You know, uh, I remember one of one of the first times, I suppose this is an artist who can do this. Um, when you say you'll have the album when it's ready, Chris, <laughs> Stevie Wonder said that when he was <laughs> making Songs in the Key of Life, which yeah. is obviously a double disc album and the runtime is like really long. Um, and, you know, he can get away with it because he's Stevie Wonder and he was like five or six albums into his yeah. career. And there was actually a lot of anticipation around it. Today, though, um, if you, there's very few artists who could say that. Mm. And also, um, I think there's more of a demand as well as nowadays. You've there's more of a you've got to have, be releasing stuff to stay yeah. relevant and so on and so forth. And so there's that aspect. Depends on how much you care about it or not, of course. But there are people who say you can't rush perfection, but you've got to get it done right. Um, time is a constraint. It's a limit. Uh, ben, what are your thoughts on this? So yeah, I mean, time. Um, there's there's like the kind of macro time things you're talking about in t- in terms of the release of a given product, you know, whatever whatever that's going to be and when that needs to come out. But then there's also you can use it too. So in the example you gave, um, Amir, where you were talking about um, the, the the whole band would sit down and listen to what was it, James Brown? Yeah, and, and Sly and the Family and Stone, and the funk, so that kind of funk stuff. So that that's a kind of constraint as well but it's a loose one i mean in the sense that you're they're hearing a certain sound before going in to the to the jam session now and the other thing as well is fine if you if you if you want to jam jam fine but put some constraints around it so like you said in the example you gave you said like they'd, they'd jam for a couple of hours they'd record the whole thing mm-hmm. they would there would then be this process at the back end where they would review, remember yeah. from a couple yeah. of times ago, <laughs> yeah, plan do review, right? They 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 would then use those um, uh, recordings, and then they would review, and then they would, like you say, curate and select, which is, and that's the that's there's a real clear distinction then between um, um, the creative process and the constraining process, yeah. yeah. Um, and this this is this is one thing that um, I've had experience of over pretty much my entire well yeah my entire time as a music educator working with um, young musicians working in bands and you, there's this thing that happens which is they get into a practice room together maybe they've been put in groups or whatever and then it's like oh what should we do well let's just have a jam mm. okay right fine but why <laughs> mm. um, and and this is the thing is like yes. That that 
openness to just seeing what appears and comes up in the moment is brilliant. But, or and, you also need to put some of these constraints around it because these jam sessions could just go on. You can take your entire rehearsal time just jamming, leave, make no effort to record it, no effort to review it. Um, if, if you want to do it as a little bit of a warm-up just to get into the groove, fine, you've got a reason for it. Right, that's 20 minutes, and then it's down to whatever else you've planned for in that rehearsal session. But, yeah, being really aware of the difference between creation and editing, you know, um, or playing play, playing as in, and I don't just mean playing instruments, I mean playing as in like playing around, having fun, playing, messing around like you, like you would as a child, toying with stuff, um, uh, exploring, uh, and and then constraint, and knowing what those, what the edges are, what the boundaries are around the play park, or, you know, if, for, for, for another metaphor. Mm. Um, so yeah, you, that thing about finding gold, you can't just dig. Yeah. Like just digging and digging and digging, um, and with, with I don't know, like with with <laughs> with some kind of mask on covering your eyes, so you can't even see where the gold is. Like mm. you know, take the mask off and and allow for a bit of discernment. Yeah. So yeah, um, and uh, yeah, time is time is a great way, right? We've we've got two hours to jam. That's it. That's what we're doing. We're recording it after two hours whatever we've got we've got there's no going back in that room we're gonna we're gonna unpick we're gonna spend the rest of the day looking at what the best ideas are from that session and that's then gonna form the bedrock or the, the foundation for 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 a song yeah other forms of constraints um well uh, style yeah genre specific artists like mm. what was the name of the artist that was listening to the um sly and the family stone and James Brown, D'Angelo, sorry, you know, him and his team were obviously managing that by insisting that the band sit down and listen to a whole heap of stuff before they go in. Um, just to kind of let the overall sound of the style kind of seep in. Right. Um, we talked, we've talked already a bit about um, uh, instruments being, being a form of constraint you know, like a sonic constraint and a, and a physical, practical constraint, depending on your abilities, abilities to, um, uh, to play that instrument. You know, if, if you're, if you're not used to playing a given instrument and then you try and write on that, then there's, you're artificially creating a kind of constraint, mm -hmm. which is a, you know, there's like a, a form of a form of narrowing. That's right. Um, there's also the, um, the stuff we talked about last time, which is the core values and branding and, um, you know, the archetypal wheel stuff as well. Mm. Um, bound up in all that stuff are a set of sensibilities. Yeah. Right? If you're a rebel, there are a bunch of auditory mm. expectations yep. that the listener's going to have in order. F so that's going to impact what you do. You know, if you're a rebel, you you might want to, you know, what's coming to mind for me as an example, say, is a, some kind of um, distortion effect, say, yep. yeah, yeah, is, yeah. Is, is something you might associate with, with something rebellious. There's something about... More ragey. <laughs> right, 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 right. There's, there's some kind of, there's some kind of uh, rage there, some anger, some, some pushback coming from that. Right. Which, of course, as a, as a, as a, um, vocal specialist that's that's when people shout there's an often a natural distortion that comes from that when someone shouts in anger so a lot of this stuff um is is built into our physiology mm. so you know you might mimic that on a on a say a guitar or a, or something to kind of create a little bit of rebelliousness i mean th that's the other thing is you can use um themes or concepts they can also act as a type of constraint on the music that you're making absolutely and i think that um i think that one of the th one thing i'm getting from what you're saying is uh you know a lot of the time you've got to ask yourself why you might be doing a certain thing for instance in the case of jamming why are you jamming are you just jamming because you want to get into the groove because or is it because you're looking for you're gold mining for some nuggets that you can take away and bring onto your record 
um, as either something that you're going to use as a uh, jumping off point for a song or something that you're going to sample or yep. whatever, however you want to use it. But also, how does that fit into who you are? And I suppose when it comes to constraints and thinking about constraints, I suppose time is the obvious constraint. But the less obvious one would be, you know, are you going to confuse your listener by by not having things that kind of necessarily fit into who you are? And that takes us back to thinking about knowing yourself and mm. authenticity. Um, so I suppose the point of having this conversation and not actually talking about music creation and composition and what comprises that is because there's a lot of preliminary things that you have to think about as an artist and as an individual, you're going to want to constantly be want to working on and refining the way you approach music creation and your composition, but not from the point of the composition itself. Um, perhaps even more so from the point of how you approach um, coming to that specific thing. Um, Go 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 on, Ben. Yeah, so I was just going to say there's, there's a couple of things I wanted to say. So, um, the reason why constraint is is worthy of our consideration as creatives is because we can just disappear down rabbit holes. Like, because if you're a creative person, like you, that, you just love love that mm. having the idea. You love the exploration. You love the, it, which is why it's it needs to be perhaps more of a um, pre-planned kind of a cognitive. A thought process right i am putting these boundaries around and i'm going to prep before i just dive into the like the the creative pool so to speak i'm going to i'm going to prep how long i'm going to be staying there for and i'm going to prep what what the reasons are now the other thing i want to say about that though is thinking about things up front can also be a form of trap and so a lot of this is about balance yeah like i mentioned when we were talking about planning reviewing and and doing you can spend too long planning sometimes too so nothing actually nothing creative actually actually happens you know you decide up front you're going to sound like this artist mm. and like that's your plan and that's what you're going to do and then then there's a whole heap of reality that never gets discovered or never gets explored because you're 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 tied to this thing mm. so that the, the, there's 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 kind of risks and rewards in both directions and the key is about balance so maybe you don't need to think about it in advance mm. if whatever whatever's working for you is working for you run with that yeah because we can we can get we can get tied up in um analysis paralysis too so i just wanted to caveat caveat that thing so, but that that question of why am i doing this yeah yeah that's key and that, that's a big question producers ask right like why is that there yeah exactly and, and if you can't answer it then should it be there yeah <laughs> well there, there, there's a chance it's there for like ego mm. or just because it it was there before yeah that question is good um as long as you don't just just constantly ask questions because <laughs> that's the other thing too we could get all really heady about it and and lose our embodiment and lose our like um lose the playfulness so it's it's a it's a balancing act because it's interesting you say that as well, because I know there's times when you get a big name producer and a big name artist, you think, oh, this is going to be great. Yeah. And it doesn't mm. work. And and the reason it doesn't work often is because the producer has a name for themselves. And they're kind of doing something there that's, well, this is what's, you know, I'm putting something in here to really showcase my production. Mm. And it might be that at the detriment of the artist and vice versa. And, and for some reason that partnership actually doesn't work because there's a competing... yeah um sort of agenda there and then you get obviously then you get partnerships where it's 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 it completely fits and mm. it's um uh, because i guess maybe ego stripped out a little bit and the artist is going in just trying to do the best for the song the producer trying to go in just trying to do the best for the song for the, for the uh and that's when it just slots in nicely Definitely. And I mean, um, coming back again to collaboration, you've got to make sure the people you're collaborating with are on the same page as you. And um, I suppose it all reminds me of the, that Quincy Jones quote where he says, we leave our egos at the door and we leave space for God to walk into the room. Essentially, mm. what happens is um, if you're a sports team and you're comprised of amazing individuals 
you know, like to all of my listeners, to all of our listeners out in Holland, you had teams comprised of hugely talented individuals, but couldn't always perform um, like you would have thought they would have on the world stage. Perhaps there was a bit too much of, I always kick the ball to this person or pass the ball to me or whatever. Um, Some people also don't know how to work well in team collaboration as well some people are used to being superior to other people and so therefore when they find someone maybe that's their match in terms of skill or creativity or just you know general badassery (laughs) um it's kind of like you know i can't, can't can't quite perform like i used to and there's so many dynamics to all of that kind of stuff um i suppose one of the things that i wanted to say was one thing that i love about the process of creation if we think about it from the beginning to the end of a record and a lot of that obviously i oversee in many of my roles um when we start out a record obviously with any given artist what we'll be doing is we'll be throwing a lot of ideas down uh going this will be a good idea for a verse put that as a hook that sounds more like a pre-chorus than it does a chorus and blah 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 blah. um Mm. and that's me obviously being a writer um, and adding sounds and getting performances is me getting, being a producer. But obviously when I go in to sit down and mix a record, I'm thinking with the editing mind, um, with the mind of actually that sound is serving no purpose whatsoever. Let's just remove it and see if it sounds better. And usually they say perfection is not when there's nothing left to add, but actually when there's nothing left to take away. There's... Uh, that's something that I've kind of worked with, I suppose, all my life um, or all my career at the very least ever since I heard that quote because of the simple fact <laughs> that I I feel like you are going to be constantly taking stuff away and it's okay to have loads of ideas in the beginning, but everything needs its own space. When I think about it musically and I think about it as a mixing engineer, everything needs its own space. Otherwise, what is the function of any given thing? It's funny. There's a there's a fashion uh, analogy to that. Not that I know anything about fashion at all, <laughs> um, but um, like I think it's, it's a really famous one. It's like that Coco Chanel said, where she's like, well, "Before you leave the house, when you got dressed, and you, you know, look in the mirror and take the last thing off that you put on." Ah, and it's 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 like a rule of thumb, not an absolute, but just like it. It's a little bit like that, isn't it? It's like, hmm, do I need that? Maybe. Oh yeah, most definitely, yeah. I mean, my my natural home creatively is is a, as a minimalist like that. Mm. Yeah, like like I'd sooner I'd sooner have I'd sooner have a solo voice. Like yeah. if, if it works, <laughs> if it works like really, if it works well with just a singer, just singing with yeah. nothing else, then why throw loads of stuff yeah. all over it? If if nothing's being added, but then there are some people that the other way, aren't there? That you know, there are some some producers and artists that just love throwing throwing loads of stuff at it, and you know, if that's your vibe, yeah. But that's the thing, and and it's again, it's I guess it's whatever works for 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 the piece or for, mm. uh, for the song or for the composition. And it's um... I like that. Yeah, that's a really. And I, I sorry, I, I I just wanted to just double down on what you, on on what you'd said with that there, Chris, just before, mm. um, and and I and I hadn't done so. I just, I just want to do that now as yeah. as a, a little a nice sort of kind of psychological constraint of like, is this serving the song? Mm. Like taking a step back and being like, this isn't about me. It's not about the other person that's in the room. Yeah. It's not about the producer. It's not even about the label. It isn't necessarily even about one individual, you know, or a group of fans. It's it's what what's serving the song and um, being able to um, do that might help you just step back from because we, we often in in creative places we can we can get really quite attached to ideas. Yeah, and there's something about being willing and able to to kill your sacred cow. Yeah, you know, in in yeah, in in the moment, and that's a way of allowing yourself to do that. Yeah, know, of creating a bit of bit of difference. Sorry, I, yeah, I interrupted. no, 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 for sure, absolutely. And I think you got lots of real world analogies of that. I know. I think I, I think I spoke in one of the previous uh, episodes about like the the famous um, David Foster, Whitney Houston uh, production. Uh, I will always love you, and the and the production process for that, and that. You know, at first he didn't want the bit where it's a cappella at the start. I think uh, Clive Davis wanted it 
Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, Kevin Costner that was in the film wanted it, uh, and he didn't. And then at the end, he was like, "Okay, no, it works. It actually does work like that." And it's you know, it's a I'm sure they went through a lot to get there, but <laughs> it was, that's part of the collaborative process. And there was another one like that with, I think it was Linda Perry. Uh, who's writing and producing the Christina Aguilera song. Beautiful. Be- uh, beautiful, yeah. And the, it was, you know, the, the song, it was what's best for the song. And that's the thing. And the song, you know, they recorded the the, the demo, uh, Perry and um, Aguilera wrote it together and they recorded the, uh, the demo for it. And because... Christina wanted to go back and redo the vocal and put... And, and Linda Perry was like, this isn't about you. It's not about your ego. It's not about you sounding perfect. Christina's like, I want it to be perfect. And she's like... This song isn't about being perfect. The whole, the whole point of the song is that you're beautiful with your flaws and stuff. And it's like, exactly. And that was what cut through. She's like, ah, yeah, right. And that um, the version that got released was the the original demo vocal take. Yeah. Um, mm. And it's exactly like you say because it's what was best for the song. Exactly. And you know what's so funny as well? Um, I always say that in sessions as well. Um, what 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 works best for the song? Maybe we were in a lesson together where we heard that Chris. <laughs> yeah, I think I think probably, yeah. <laughs> or something. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, you know, that is actually a phrase that I use a lot of the time. I'm just like, you know, if you're going to create art and you want it to have the right impact, but also the right meaning, you have to be able to serve the song. It's literally not about... Mm you want to do this and that person wants that person that person wants that part to be in there and all that kind of stuff one thing i will say just based on on something you've both been saying as well you know when ben mentioned um you know if if it calls for just having a solo voice i'm for that clive davis in the whitney houston example and linda perry in the um in the christian aguilera example um Actually, throwing everything in the kitchen sink at a song in creation is mm. maybe not a bad idea in the beginning, but you've got to remember and have more often than not what co- this comes down to is confidence, right? Mm-hmm. So this is something I've learned over time. Mm. Um, less confident people are more likely to throw everything yeah. in one song. Because they're like, look at what I can do. Got to try and prove myself. Yeah, exactly right. But if you have the confidence to not do that, and if you have the restraint, we've yep. talked about constraints, but restraint, restraint to go. I believe that this element and this element and this element, just pick three, could actually stand alone in this song, right? Mm. Then you are building the confidence to, in in your artistry in your composition, in your creation process, um, you're building the confidence to cut through a little bit more. Yeah. Um, because overproduced stuff mm. tends to sound confusing. Yeah. It tends to confuse the listener because actually many studies have been done about the way that people listen to music and they can only concentrate on three elements at right. any one time. So, you know, <laughs> so all of those extra five guitar parts that you've got, Noodling away in the background. Yeah. No one's listening to those. They're listening to the drums, the bass, and the vocal. Yeah. Because those are the things that are the loudest and they're the ones that stick out. And I think it's got a lot to do with confidence. And I suppose as a listener, you should try and you should try and build your confidence um by actually doing something which is a lot more stripped back. Yeah. So actually taking away as much as you can, um, to the point where you take something away. And you go, I really miss that. Mm. That's when you know it should be. Then you be know in it there. should be. If you yeah. miss it and it's not there, that's when you're like, oh no, it needed. It does need to be there. Yeah, exactly. And if you don't feel that, then yeah, right. So I think that's what comes of experience, isn't it? That's exactly. It does, but, it, that's that's why it's taken me time to learn yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. because at the beginning I was probably like, yeah, we'll have that sound going there. That sound goes off like that, and yeah. you get all crazy about it because you're not really that confident. But as you as you mature as you get more experience ben i'm sure you can you'll hear singers who can over sing stuff early in the career oh yeah 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 it's it's, it's a typical problem mm. um you get these technically great great singers the fan- fantastic singers they can do riffs runs uh, licks they can sing in multiple multiple sounds in all different parts of their range like great 
great performers, but they think that like every note or every beat of every bar needs to be filled with everything simultaneously, <laughs> you know? And it's just like, no, I like just, yeah. just sing the song, right? Yeah, the give melody, us at least one right, verse yeah. and mm. one chorus of just the song. Just yeah. give us that, right? Yeah. Then those of us mere mortals that can't do what you're doing <laughs> can at least sing along for the rest of the song because we've got an idea about what it sounds like without all the bells and whistles on. Yeah. Right. Then you go and do your bells and whistles, and we'll all be here in the crowd singing yeah. along, like the original, <laughs> the original verse melody and the original chorus melody, and we can we can engage and join in with you. Absolutely. But if you come in and you're giving us everything, all the way through. Well, what happens is the first verse feels great and you know maybe the first chorus feels great but honestly by by the end of the song i'm just people are just bored yeah mm. because it's like the the initial like excitement of oh wow they can do that thing the initial excitement of that just wears off yeah you just yeah. get used to it which is which is crazy because you know they've chances are they've spent you know you know thousands of hours working on their instrument Maybe they're, you know, lucky enough to be born with with a heap of natural talent as well. Mm. And it's like, you're just going to give it all to me mm-hmm. in one go. Yeah. Like, and then I'm I'm done after. But save something. Two, yeah, a exactly. minute. Like, save something for the big finish. So yeah. you build Absolutely. up to that. And again, that's experience, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Sure. And motion is vital. Like, well, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, this like, um, it comes to, um, it comes to... You know what we were talking about when we were talking about knowing yourself and 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 having a story. Hmm. Uh, a composition should have a story, right? It can have a beginning, a middle, and end. It shouldn't be like I'm driving. When you drive a car, you know you go from first, second, third, fourth, fifth. Not I'm going to be in fifth hmm. gear for this whole journey. You know, <laughs> right. yeah, um, yeah. Ben, sorry, I cut you off there, mate. No, no, it's no, it's fine. I was just going to say, like, motion um, is 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 vital, like. We human beings, um, we're a weird animal. We're a weird animal because we don't like being bored. So we don't like things staying the same. Mm. Yeah. We also can get overfaced by too much change all at once. Mm. Right. And so what you get with these, with these, um, for example, these singers that, that just throw everything right from the beginning and then it, that just sits there at like this 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 level of intensity right the way through mm. is mm. you get the worst of both worlds because what you get is, well, there's so much going on, there's so much going on, I can't deal with it, I can't cope. Like, so so there's an over, from the very beginning, there's a, like a an overstimulation on the part of the listener. But then then because the, the, the listener's so overly stimulated they then kind of start to become bored with the mm. sensation of being overly stimulated. <laughs> so yeah. it's like you, you, you get the worst of both worlds. Yeah. What, what we like is this. Um, and there's a corollary actually with the, with the bounded and play space thing that we've just talked about, mm. which is you want, we want some repetition as a listener. We want to be able to hold on to something. We want to be able to, we, we like that, but then we also like um, a bit of nuance, interest, development, change you know don't give me a section without adding something something new or fresh in like you need to be massive and and like overpowering the whole thing but just give me a bit of something else you know each section just add another little another little embellishment an embellishment do something different yeah um you know but that that sense of motion and, and like you say being on a journey being taken um on a uh through a through a story i think is 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 vital you know twists turns um and there are there are heaps of ways that you can do it um i have a, a kind of a a thing that called tam tiftle right mm-hmm. which it's it's a it's a terrible acronym but i don't know it sticks with me but it's a way of um kind of analyzing music like breaking it up into different bits and so each of these different bits there are there are ways of you um supporting that development Mm. And uh, and the motion from the beginning of a song to the end of a song, um, but then, but but just make sure you're doing it right. Whichever of these bits you're going to choose, whichever bits you're altering, mm. fine. Make those changes. Add those add those things in as the song progresses. But um, or or pull stuff out as the song progresses. Yeah. Right. I mean, the uh, the best example of this for me, like on a, on a personal level, is um, Hallelujah. Like if, mm. if if you listen to the original Leonard Cohen version, yeah, yeah. and I know um, 
I think Alexandra Burke did a version not too mm. long ago, and there's been yeah, loads of versions of it. one around the time of X Factor or whatever. Yeah. It was. Right, but those 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 versions are like big, and I just they're throwing stuff in, and the chorus gets huge. Right, it's like especially like in the on the Leonard Cohen version, it's like right, what do we got throwing behind Leonard's? Right, he's singing this thing the way he does. Right, we need some strings, we need some like big guitars, we need everything to get bigger. But if you listen to the Jeff Buckley version, he yeah. does the complete opposite. Yeah, like, of to, to start with, it, it's just him and a guitar yeah. all the way through. Yeah. Right, with you know, I mean, with some reverb and like a little bit of crunch on the guitar, and so you know, there's some kind of effects that you could argue are kind of they're, they're sort of additional elements, but for the most part, it's it, it's a clean guitar and him. Mm-hmm. Um, and w- what what he's able to do with just those two elements, mm. um, is just and, and in the choruses, he, he pulls away, mm. like, there's less stuff going on, like he sings, um. Smaller, as he's, it were. He, yeah. Right, yeah, he's, he's, he sings mm. smaller. He leaves more yep. space in the guitar part. Mm. And then you're kind of, you're really sucked and drawn in. Um, and for me, that's just the, the that's the version. The, yeah, yeah, the Buckley yeah, version, sure. Jeff Buckley's version is just like, oh. Yeah. Like, and and as, as a real, you know, so go away and listen to those. Listen to the, to yeah. the if you haven't already, listen to the... Um, Leonard Cohen version, and then listen to the Jeff Buckley version, and and listen out for the difference in the arrangements. And yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, well, this is it, and this goes back to the journey uh, kind of situation as well. Um, for me, um, on a personal level, I do uh, enjoy songs that do take me on a bit of a journey. To be honest, like you know, it's so interesting because you think, in a way, um, you might think that um, pop music doesn't have any of that, but it really does. Pop music is always moving. And I remember watching an interview with Dark Child, Rodney Jerkins, the producer, um, and he said, my way is I just change something every four bars. Every four bars, I change something. Yeah, He's he's like, I'll add a new part, take one away, um, or or I'll change the rhythm in something, or I'll change the melody in something. And, and it's just like constantly evolving. Yeah. Um, and we might... Like a lot of people, unless you're thinking about like a normal pop kind of like, um, you know, the big cheesy pop ballad, if you want to call it that, you don't really feel like you're going on a journey, but you're really most of the time underneath it all that like a song that moves a lot, for instance, of recent times is 24, um, 24K Magic by Bruno Mars. Mm-hmm. That song is constantly is moving. And actually, by the time the three minutes is up, you're like, wow. That was quite mm. the journey, um, but um, but not in the same way as if it was like Hallelujah by Jeff Buckley, because that is moving in a certain way as well. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, yeah, and yeah. And you can hear that in like even like just something that springs like a something that's a bona fide pop hit, like Britney Spears' "Baby One More Time," which uh, there you um, go, Max Max uh, Martin, Max Martin. Yeah, it's like these little embellishments that are just there. Like you don't necessarily know that you notice them. Yeah. um, But they do. And then when you get to the big moment, the big chorus at the end, there's obviously there's the foundations that sort of stay through the the track, but then it's layering something else, layering something else, layering something. And it's um, very subtle actually. Thank you for listening to this episode of Charting Tracks. Please feel free to subscribe, like, comment, review, all of that stuff and follow us on socials where we are at charting tracks. We'll try our best to answer any questions you may have. And we look forward to bringing you more of the same next time round until then take care.